Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this is the podcast where we talk about movies that we watched growing up. For this episode, we're going to visit another director who, over the last 20 years, has uh, made a number of movies. 25 years, really. And um, later, I'm going to be talking about the classic uh, Wes Anderson movie, Rushmore. But Nancy's going to get us started talking about the Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, Nancy, question before we get started. Clearly, because this movie came out in 2014, this isn't a movie we grew up watching. No. But I guess you must really like this movie. Well, I think because... I knew we were going to talk about Wes Anderson at some point, and this is a Wes Anderson movie that, when I saw it, I was just really taken aback by it. I really, really loved it when I first saw it. And I haven't seen it in several years, but I still really like it. And it has a different vibe than a lot of his other movies because it's more of a period piece. The subject matter is maybe a little darker, and at this point, so many years into his movie career, movie making career, he has completely expanded his like cast of characters. I mean, you still see cameos from kind of his standard Wes Anderson players, but there was a new batch of people that were the main characters, primarily Ray Fiennes, who I love Ray Fiennes. I've always loved him. This man has been stuck doing World War II movies really since the beginning of his career with Schindler's Uh, List. um, Excuse me. He also is Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies. See, this is what I mean. He was doing kind of dark, villainous, kind of heavy, heavy roles for a long time. And when this came out, I can't remember if this came out before or after all the Harry Potter movies were wrapped up. But this type of role is a lot lighter and a lot different for him. And... I'm just going to say it now. He's my favorite character. He just gets to do something very, very different. And I really like him in this movie, which kind of carries the whole thing for me. So that's why I wanted to talk about it, more just as to compare what has Wes Anderson done over the years. We've already talked about Royal Tenenbaums when we did our Father's Day episode last year. And that, I feel like, has more of a similarity to Rushmore than Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, I mean, Grand Budapest <clears throat> Hotel is the last action, like, um, I'm sorry, live action movie that Wes Anderson has directed. Since then, he also did um, Isle of Dogs, which is a stop motion movie. Excellent. You need to watch it. And then um, before that, he did, um, before Grand Budapest Hotel, he had done Moonrise Kingdom, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And the Darjeeling Limited and the Life Aquatic Steve Zissou before he got to Royal Tenenbaums and then Rushmore, which I'll talk about later. Um, so, what is this movie about, Nancy? Well, this movie's about a hotel. <laughs> well, it's set it's set in a fictional land, and it opens with um, Jude Law, who's an author, and he bumps into F. Murray Abraham, who we find out through the storytelling is the grown-up version of Zero, who was the lobby boy, very young lobby boy, that worked with Ray Fiennes. And it was really basically Ray Fiennes' protege. 
at the at the height of when the Grand Budapest Hotel was really seen its better days. And Ray Fiennes is, you know, this excellent concierge of this hotel. He also provides extra services for older ladies and <laughs> kind of has this reputation of taking care of them and ends up that he ends up inheriting this hotel and a few other things. But I don't know, this movie's just very silly. I mean, this woman, you know, this heiress dies and because Ray Fiennes did care about her, I mean, the way it's portrayed made it seem like he cared about her and wanted to attend a funeral. But maybe he deep down knew he was going to be in this lady's will. And, you know, there's a, there's a funny painting that becomes very important. And the family, which is... Boy with apple. Yes. <laughs> Boy with apple. Um, but the, the surviving family are all evil. And they're, they're like comic, you know, they're like cartoonishly evil. I mean, Adrian Brody, his hair is all big. He's got an evil mustache. I mean, just all these little things. And it becomes this kind of, they want to frame... Ray finds for the murder of this heiress. And I don't know. I just, again, it's silly. I mean, and then it bumps into the war. I mean, you know, there ends up being Nazis. I don't know if they're really talked about as being officially Nazis, but, you know, it's, again, another, like, World War II movie that Ray Fiennes ends up finding himself in, but very different tone, so. I don't know. I, I like it. I enjoy it. It's, you know, was really one of the first movies I saw. Um, Sorsha, um, Shoot, I forgot how to say her last name. Ronan? Yes, Sorsha Ronan. In. Um, she Ronan, Ronan. Yeah, this yeah. is before Lady Bird, before Brooklyn, before she really started to kind of make her name outside of being the annoying little brat in Atonement. Um, I don't know. It's it's fun. I, I, just, I just find it entertaining. And again, if you don't like Ray Fiennes in this movie, you're not going to like the movie. I think that's kind of... <coughs> kind of the sale. I mean, Harvey Keitel, like him as a prisoner was pretty funny. I mean, just all these little oddball characters that pop up throughout the whole thing just kept me entertained. So I was bored. It's okay. I, I kind of anticipated that. So let me tell let, let me describe my viewing experience of this movie. I had never seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. This is my first time watching it. And um the other night, I started watching it, and the first half of this movie is pretty much 45 minutes to an hour of, hey, these are all the characters. Yeah. And I fell asleep. And I said, I have to turn this movie off. I, can't, I cannot watch this movie. So then the next night... I said, okay, I'm going to get, I want to watch this movie. Nancy vouches for this movie. We're going to talk about it. So I went into like a different room. I sat myself up. I like prop, I like got more, com- I got in a, in a space that was like, so I could focus more. You had three shots this of movie. espresso. <laughs> I didn't go that far. It was still nighttime. <laughs> I didn't want to be up all night, like shaking, like, oh my God, that movie. <laughs> um, but. Um, so I started, I found like where I was in the movie and I put it on and 
right about where I had like stopped watching it is where kind of the actual story starts to happen when the old lady passes away, who if you don't know is Tilda Swinton oh, yeah. in makeup oh, yeah. to look make herself look a lot <laughs> older and she she's like this she's a chameleon. She yes, she can just transform into all these different characters. Um and uh so she passes away he goes to the funeral and gets boy with apple and everything and and that's about where i had kind of left off mm-hmm. actually i take it back that's not where i left off like where i paused it that's where i fell asleep okay <laughs> and then i realized i had woken up at the part where willem defoe the fr- family assassin <laughs> friend had Slam the door <laughs> on Jeff Goldblum's fingers. Yes. <laughs> so then, you know, I'm in my propped up position and everything to continue watching the movie. And after about half an hour, I fell asleep again. Because I was just... that. Here is what this movie does not have going for it. First of all, of the quirky characters, I didn't care. I didn't find any of them quirky. I didn't find any of them interesting. I didn't. F- I mean, the only person that I found likable that I wanted to actually wish the whole movie was about was Zero and Agatha. Yeah. I wish the whole movie was them and not Ray Fine because Ray Fine's bored me. I didn't care. I was like, oh look, some some white privileged guy who, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I was just not into his character. Mm. And and you're right. Like, if you don't like him, you're not going to yeah. like this movie. Um, and I love him as an actor. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. Um, but I was just so just like, yeah, whatever. But, um, and I really just kind of wish the movie was about those two. I mean, and, and at the very beginning where um, you are having, like, Jude Law is interviewing old Zero. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, this movie is going to be all about this young guy who, by by the way, like, I'm watching it, I'm like, I know who this is. Spider-Man. He's in the new Spider-Man movies. He's an asshole in those movies. (laughs) Well, he's it's funny because he's mean to Peter Parker, but he loves Spider-Man. I think Spider-Man is great. So it's so funny. That's right. The way that all works out. But then the whole movie is him... Like, the movie starts off kind of weird, too. Because it starts off with old Jude Law. Jude Law's not that old. Played by, played, no, listen. Played by Tom Wilkinson. Oh. Starts the movie telling a story about when he went to this hotel to tell us, to hear a story told by old Zero. I mean, and it just, so that is all kind of confusing at the beginning. And then, um, and granted... You know, having all of this, watching it at night, maybe that's why it was confusing. But it just didn't. It didn't. It didn't compel me to want to watch it more. Like, ooh, now it's like a story within a story. I don't know. And I just kind of was thinking, like, it's going to be about him, and it wasn't. It's about M. Gustav <laughs> or Gustav H. However you want to say his, you know, talk about him. And I just was not that impressed. The other thing that this movie does not have going for it that 
we talked about in Royal Tenenbaums that also Rushmore has is great music that carries the story. And this I movie... I can't even think about what the music was like in this movie. I don't even remember what... Because it, it was all a score, it's, I it's, think. It's all just a score, pretty much. Yeah. And And I know it's a period piece, yeah. so I mean, what... And it's like 1932 or something mm-hmm. like that. So what kind of music are you actually going to have in it? You're not going to have, you know, the Kinks or, you know, the Ramones or anything like that like you do in the other movies, but you... It just does not have like the flow and the and the the rhythm that kept me going in it. Now, I will admit that the second half of the movie, from the from the whole point of you know he the woman dies, he's willed the painting. The family is angry, but even then, like I didn't even find them that bad until you find out that they tried to frame him for the murder to get it it's like they make him they make the the family seem bad but they're all just kind of grieving i don't know or I don't they're know. just all Brody was pretty bad i mean and, and he was he really, just had kind of an really attitude nasty about who gustav was i mean well he he was, he really... was mad at him because he basically because he thought that he 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 was screwing his mother just for the money that was the reason. That was the reasoning he gave for being angry at him. Yeah. But anyway, um, the second half of the movie definitely picks is up, more just, interesting. Yeah. It's a, it picks up a little bit, um, but again, even in that second half of the movie, I really don't care what happens to M. Gustav. I care, cared more about what happens to Zero and Agatha and really wish the movie was more about them, and it really kind of wasn't. I mean, Zero was a fun character, you know, and just how he acted and how he, like, drew his little mustache on with a pencil and, like, little things like that. Where That was the kind of fun quirkiness that I liked. Because even, like, and even as other characters came in, like, um... Edward Norton's character mm-hmm. as the um, the captain of like the military and stuff like that. He there was nothing like other like that interesting about him other than he was a captain. They didn't have he didn't have any like there wasn't any quirks about him or anything that made him overly interesting. Other than he has like a complete American accent, he's supposed to be playing this like. Well, so does so does Harvey Keitel and a lot of other people in this movie. They just basically were like, yeah, um, can you be in this movie? But because this is an imaginary country where this is where this is taking place, you don't even have to have we don't even know what the accent will be. <laughs> so just say just talk normal. Um, I don't know. It's just. Um, OK, well, let me let me just I could have I could I, I was hoping for more. But again, but I think also there was a part of me that was like, there's a reason why I didn't jump at seeing this movie before. And I think part of that has to do also with. A whole another thing is that I love the movie I'm going to talk about. So do and I. And I really, and then I really loved Royal Tenenbaums. And then when um, the the Life Aquatic of Steve, with Steve Zissou came out, I was kind of disappointed. Like Me I remember too. coming out of that movie, like ha- not having the feeling that I wanted to have. So I kind of at that point was like. Maybe Wes Anderson is more hit or miss for me. So I've still never seen his next movie, Darjeeling Limited. It's dumb. I don't like I, it. It's my least favorite. Okay. 
Um, I have not seen Fantastic Mr. Fox, but I very much want to. Me too. It's on. I want. And and then I did see Moonrise Kingdom, I which it. I really liked. Yes. I really liked Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and that one, and Moonrise Kingdom kind of lines a lot more like how Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums are, in my opinion. Um, and then. Well, there's more um, kids, and it's all kids mostly in Moonrise Kingdom because it's set. Isn't it set at like a camp? There's camping, yeah, 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 it's camp. And then you jump to to this movie, and I was just like, eh, you know, I'm not, you know, when this came out, you know, I was about to become a dad, and I just did not have the time to devote to this movie. <laughs> I was just not interested in it. And, and I do want to see Isle of Dogs. It's just a matter of having time to see it. And both that and Fantastic Mr. Fox are on Disney+, Plus, which I have, so... And I probably could watch them with my kids, so yeah, because um, it's animated. So I will definitely get to those. So because because like I ha- like from Steve Zissou on, I've had like this kind of eh, I don't know. I I didn't feel like I do about like David Fincher, where I'm like, okay, I have to see this David Fincher movie because I really like what he's done, and he hasn't really disappointed me or left me with that same feeling like. Wes Anderson did. So I didn't really want to dedicate myself too much to this movie when it came out. And it's never been in like the top of my list to try and check out for whatever reason. Well, now you never need to watch it again. Well, and now that I've seen it and I know, but I also kind of feel like if I were to watch it again, I might be able to appreciate it in different ways because there's no, there's zero expectations now because I know exactly what to expect. And maybe I'll find other little things about it that I appreciate. Um, well, there are a lot of characters. And I think compared to Rushmore, which while, yes, those are, that's set at a school, so there's lots of, like, kids, there really aren't, like, the main people you focus on is there's a lot like, more. There's, like, maybe, limited. like, eight people. Yeah. There's, like, eight people. Yeah, so Grand Budapest Hotel does have kind of this, large pool of characters you kind of have to keep track of. I mean, but there are still just so many silly things about it. Like, like this is society of crossed keys. I mean, the fact that, you know, there's this secret society that can just get shit done. Like how do you yeah. get front row seats at a Beyonce the concierge. concert? You know? <laughs> yeah. The concierge society of, you know, and, and, like, and so I, and things I, like that, or just picture this, Matt, at the, towards the very, very end after, um, William Defoe has assassinated like their main alibi and the whole snow chase, like the whole the whole skiing chase and just the way the I guess I get Wes Anderson is very unique. I love the oh, visuals yeah. he yeah. does and I feel like mm-hmm. he doesn't do it as much in Rushmore. He was still kind of finding his footing, but from like Royal Tenenbaums on, there was a certain style he really kind of developed and Mm -hmm. those those kind of visual things that he does are all over the place in Grand Budapest Hotel and that stuff I really find entertaining I mean just you know I do too I I mean and and I that's why I admire about it he takes a very artistic and painterly approach to the scenes to where everything every little detail is done on purpose yeah there's like a purpose to every little detail. And, and I really love when directors do that. Um, 
all the directors I really, really care about that I don't get pissed off at, like, like, you don't see you don't see a Spielberg moment where he does stuff for the story effect and not for the actual like details of the you know he'll let details go by you know if it, it Spielberg you know, if something yeah Spielberg will whereas Wes Anderson you can tell like takes a lot of attention to all the very little details as far as the time period what people are wearing their accessories the you know what the room looks like the positioning of the camera you know where what is being highlighted and what's in focus and all these different things um so there's a lot of attention to stuff like that plus just the placement of music and he's just he he has he has a very specific look very specific eye and it's very admirable and that's why he's able to make movies yeah uh, so i i agree and 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 like the skiing scene like how that was shot and some of that is not even real it's all like and it's some of it's animated yeah, but it's still you hilarious. can tell and it's how it's mixed in um even the prison like the, break i mean all the little details so of the, the prison all break. the details of the prison break were great um but i think that and and I had those giggles a couple times where I was like, okay, that was pretty funny. Like the whole, like like yes, the society of the keys, and then <laughs> he start. They just like have this chain, like this phone chain of calling everybody, and that's where you really see the the cameos yeah. of the cast of characters yeah. that Wes Anderson has. He calls Bill Murray, Bill Murray calls Owen Wilson, and and so on yeah. and so forth. Um. So I, I, I get it, you know, and, and, but, uh, I guess there was the first half of the movie had too much set up as far as all these characters and what was the history of the hotel and everything. And then the second half of the movie, I didn't care enough about those characters to, to enjoy what was going on enough. And the two characters that I did care about were not as much of a focus as I wanted them to be. This is where I'm going to go back to the original statement saying, if you're not someone that really, really likes Ray Fiennes and has watched several of his movies, and especially me, because like, I've watched a lot of his like tragic roles. I mean, uh, I've seen... English a, Patient. English Patient, <laughs> End of the Affair, The Reader, um, Schindler's List. All of them are World War II movies, and they're all depressing you know they're all like romantic sweeping depressing movies for me to see him in a kind of world war ii adjacent movie that's a comedy that he gets to do something totally different was very exciting for me and he delivered as far as i'm concerned you know like i his, i love his character and i'm yeah I and, mean, I, and he, his he, character he has, portrays him well yeah and he his character is so confident i mean i think some of the movies we've watched where the kind of mentor character just has just complete confidence. It's, it's just interesting. It's like, he's never really second guessing himself. I mean, even towards the, at the very end when he's, you know, in the train car and they're having that confrontation. I mean, he's just like, this is what's going to happen. These are the papers. There's this blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's never, he never doubts himself. And that's also just kind of a exciting quality to see in a lead. Um, especially compared to his young little protege, who then quickly adopts all of his habits. I mean, when he meets the new lobby boy, he's like, oh, no, 
you have not been trained. And he, like, I don't know what you're doing. You would not give that kind of information out to a random person. But Right. I don't know. I, again, it's not, you don't take this movie seriously. It's a very silly movie, but if you can get into the, the quirks that are available without trying to, you know, if, if you can kind of sink into, okay, period piece. Okay, foreign country. All right probably going to be set in one big building for most of the movie maybe okay you know like just kind of i was actually kind of surprised that because i didn't because again i hadn't seen it i didn't know much about the plot there's a lot of this movie that isn't even in the hotel yeah you know because you know he goes to prison he goes to go to lutz to see the madams they're on uh, the train cars they're on the train cars they're in the mountains you know all this kind of stuff so anyways well well so, I've made it obvious. Ray Fiennes is my favorite character. Um, Zero and Agatha are mine. Yeah. Um, and in terms of a favorite scene, I mean... I mean, I kind of like towards the end, like when they're, when they're coming back to the hotel and there's like the shootout and all that. And, you know, it's just kind of wrapping up this kind of confrontation. I like that a lot. But I also just like some of the little... Just some of I, I do like the the crossed key little kind mm-hmm. of segue. The montage yeah. there, yeah. Um but I also just like some of Ray Fine's just his dialogue. I mean, there's a scene early on when they're on a I think it's when they're on the way to the funeral and he him talking about being with older women and how he thought she was so young. He's like She's 84. He goes, oh, I've been with much older. And he talks, you know, it's just kind of conversation about how at some point, you know, you really go for the, for the nice fillets, because they don't say filet, they say fillets. Eventually, you got to just move on over to the cheap cuts. I mean, just his little stuff like that, I, I don't know, I found really funny. But again, I was, I was really kind of hungry for a not dark and serious Harry Potter role for him, not dark and weepy World War II romantic lead movie for him. It was like for him to be in a comedy at this point in his career is like, ah, oh, okay. So that is uh, my treatise on the Grand Budapest Hotel. But I know we both love the next movie. In fact, this the next movie was my introduction to Wes Anderson. So Rushmore came out in late '98, and then was got a wider release in February of '99, 1999. You never know when someone might be listening to this, <laughs> but um, and I saw this in the theater, and because it kind of intrigued me, I was just like, "What is this movie?" I remember seeing like the trailer and, be, and being like, "What is?" This this is kind of interesting, and Bill Murray and and I haven't seen him in a while, and this looks like a different movie for him. Let's let's check this out, and from the very very beginning of the movie, when the music starts playing, it just pulls you in, and the music itself is a character in this movie. Would you say that's like a Brit pop? Is that kind of a general category for most of the music? A majority of it, I would say, is 1960s garage kind of rock kind of stuff, because you've got The Who, The Creation. Originally, 
um, he wanted to do the entire movie with just the kinks. Like, the whole movie, just kinks songs. Um, but he didn't. But you also got, like, some Cat Stevens in there and a couple others. And Mark Mothersbaugh, who people would know from the band Devo, he does all the score mm. music mm-hmm. to this. Um, so from the very beginning of this, you've got, like, this music that really kind of pulls you in. It's hip and kind of adds a wonderful pacing to it. Yeah. So there's parts of this movie where it almost feels like a music video, mm-hmm. almost. Um, kids, if you don't know what music videos are, Google it. Um, and <laughs> um, this is this movie is basically a love story. Yes. <laughs> where Jason Schwartzman plays Max Fisher, who is a kind of a pseudo boy genius. And I say that only because he has a lot of ambition, but he's not very studious. He's got, he, he has no, and, and part of his love is the fact that when he was in the second grade, he wrote a play that got all this critical acclaim and that got him into the school Rushmore. And he, at that point, devotes his whole life to the school Rushmore, creating clubs and all this other kind of stuff, until he meets his new passion, Mrs. Cross, Mm -hmm. who is a first-grade teacher at Rushmore. And at this point, he's 15 years old. Um, And... Part of the movie is him just doing things to get to kind of figure out how to how to show his love for her and win her like he's going to have some relationship with her, which from the very beginning, you're like, this is never going to happen. She's a first grade teacher. She's got her life together and whatnot. But as this goes on, he befriends Bill Murray's character, uh, Mr. Bloom, Mr. Herman Bloom. And then, because he's friends with Max, he ends up meeting Mrs. Cross and falling in love with her. So then the movie turns into the two of them kind of battling it out against each other to win the heart of Mrs. Cross. And in the end, none of them win. And kind of sort yeah. I don't think any of them really win her heart at the mm-hmm. end, but, but, um, the thing that I, that really, besides like the music and the quirkiness of some of these characters is there's something about at the beginning, this passion and this, de- and this like utter dedication that Max has <laughs> to just all the things that he's interested in. He writes plays. He is head of the beekeeping society. <laughs> He's part of the Yankee Racers. I mean, every Fencing. club that every club that you could come up with that is off the wall at this school, he, he belongs to all, and is probably the president of. He's kind of like the bizarro world version of like a Ferris Bueller because Rushmore yeah, yeah. is his entire identity, not the academic side of it, but just the Mm-mm. just the extracurricular side of it. So, they kind of have a no, similar he, quality 
what he and yeah. Ferris Bueller and the I don't give a shit about necessarily the learning part of it, but while Ferris Bueller did everything he could to not be at school, Max wants to in you know be a part of all of the activities and you know that's how he kind of makes his name. So, and then some of the things that Max and also Mr. Bloom try and do to win the heart of Mrs. Cross, Rosemary Cross, are insane and hilarious. Yeah. Like, like making plans to dig up the baseball field to build an aquarium. <laughs> and not just the whole baseball field, but just left field. So they leave the baseball diamond there to build an aquarium with piranhas in it <laughs> and Makos and just all these crazy things to impress Mrs. Cross. And the other thing that really stands out in this movie is I really think that this was the movie that launched Bill Murray into cult stardom. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about Bill Murray's early career and his and um, the his comedic roles in like the eighties, and then he got very famous for things like Groundhog Day and Scrooge and Ghostbusters and all these things. But then this movie shows him in a whole other light. I don't think he's cast in Lost in Translation if he doesn't exactly do Rushmore. If he doesn't do this movie, I don't think he gets lost in translation or some of the other movies that he did beyond mm-hmm. that where he got to have really dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. He did, uh, was it Broken Flowers? And um, Royal T- he has the, the part in Royal Tenenbaums and Steve Zissou and a couple other movies. And, and um, so he arguably is my favorite character yeah, in this movie. Um, just because of... He, his character is a fairly unhappy man who then, when he meets Rosemary Cross, finally finds something that he cares about. And um, ultimately, you know, because of the battle that the two, that the two of them have over her, you know, she just, she's just like, I can't deal with either of you. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, you know his academics have have are so bad that you know there's no way like he's a, he's like a an a, an f average student he's not even a c average student and um he crosses the line when he tries to build the aquarium and gets expelled from Rushmore so now he doesn't have Mrs. Cross and he doesn't have Rushmore anymore and he's sent to public school where he then tries to make the public school kind of like his Rushmore a little bit by starting some of the activities he has there and everything or similar activities by the third act of the movie. He has really come to grips with the idea that he's not going to have Mrs. Cross and he'd like to do his best to fix all the things he fucked up Mm -hmm. trying to, to get her. And you'll notice that, and we were talking about that attention to detail, and, you know, when he is going to Rushmore, it's a prep school, and he has, he always constantly is wearing, like, the Rushmore Mm -hmm. outfit, right? And then when he's kind of lost everything, 
Like, he doesn't have Mrs. Cross. He doesn't have Bloom anymore. He's not even battling for her anymore. He has, like... And he's dropped out of school. He doesn't go to school anymore. He just wears, like... You just see him in plain street clothes, mainly. And he has, like, a like a puffy jacket. But then in the third act, when he's kind of getting everything together, the whole time he wears... He's, like, replaced his Rushmore outfit with this, like, green velvet suit. Oh, yeah. And, and a bow tie. So, you know, that kind of is like one of those details that I'm ta- that we were talking about earlier with what that Wes Anderson always kind of brings out is you know, he he pays attention to those kind of things to, to show markers in the story and where a character has gone. Um Now, Max has lots of problems. I mean, his mother passed away when he was a kid. Um so it's just him and his dad. He's always trying to get attention in a lot of ways and that's probably why he always tries to start these clubs and do things around Rushmore even though he's not he's not the kind of student that the school would want to promote because he's not good academically he just has a lot he's just in a, he's just in a lot of shit well he, i think he does it as a distraction too it's like if he's in yeah. fact that's what superb brian cox as the yes. superintendent as who I Mr. Guggenheim. Oh man. Yes. I've I've gotten to really enjoy him in my T V show Succession, which is finally filming again now, even with all the COVID stuff. Mm. He's so good. He's so perfect as the superintendent. I loved him in Zodiac as the um the doctor that the Zodiac calls. Um I love him in X2, the second X-Men movie, <laughs> where he plays Stryker. Um, I love him in that. He is he is a superb actor. And him as Mr. Guggenheim was, was great. Um, and he's... And, and you kind of feel bad for him because he's, he's just always having to deal with Max. Yeah. But the other thing is Max is... He's, he's constantly, like, telling lies yeah. and trying to get out of them, too, which... Typically is not, though. That's kind of the Costanza effect, but he kind of owns it in a different way. I think it's different. He doesn't try and get. It's different. Uh, Yeah, and he tries to, and he doesn't necessarily always try and get out of them. He he owns up to them too, but like he doesn't. He he's almost embarrassed to say that his dad is a barber. So he constantly tells he tells everybody that he's a brain surgeon, which. By the end of the movie, when he's actually kind of cleaned up his act and realized and trying to make up for everything, he um, he starts telling, introducing him as a barber. And I love the scene where, um, um, in this movie, you also get Luke Wilson, so not Owen Wilson, <laughs> and he's so great. And um, who plays a who plays a, a, a an an OR surgeon? And when he when he meets his dad, he goes, "Oh, so I hear you're a brain surgeon." And his dad's like, "Well, actually, I'm a barber, but you know, it's people always get that mixed up." And I just find that so yeah. that's that's just such a great line. Um, but yeah, so Max has he has his issues. So you're kind of also part of this movie is the kind of watching Max over this like four month period go from like evolve a little differently and he's still only like 14 one of it one of his other issues is that he's a complete asshole to margaret 
Oh, you know, yeah. He, yeah. he starts, you know, after he's expelled and he has to start at the public school, um, Margaret Yang is immediately drawn to him and she's trying to make friends, be friends with him. And he's so just rude and dismissive to him. To her. Like, to, yeah, he's very dismissive of her. And it's, at least later in the movie, she does get to call him out and say what a jerk he is. But at the same yeah. time, it's like, ugh, it's like, dude. You're you're trying to get a teacher who in a million years will never go out with you because you're 15, and right. someone who's like perfect for you is right there. Like, what's your problem? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel so bad for Margaret because she totally is exactly what he needs. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of an interesting commentary about you know. There's the men that you know, they, that, that there's the woman that men want sometimes. And then there's the, there's the woman that men need. Yeah. And sometimes you, I think men get clouded by, you know, what, what is good for them. And I'm sure women are the same way where it's like they spend too much time. People pine for the wrong things sometimes. And, um, uh, Margaret is perfect for him. Before Bill Murray, I believe, before he meets Mrs. Cross, we see him at the pool, right? Because, oh my God. That is is the epiphany of how, like, we finally see, like, how sad he is. He's wearing... And that's why you kind of root for him. He's wearing his Budweiser swim trunks. He's carrying a highball glass and smoking a cigarette to the top of the diving board. Drinks, you know, slams down the rest of his drink. Has a cigarette in his face as he jumps off the diving board. I mean, I don't know. It was beautiful. It was that so, scene is so great. Beautiful. I don't know the if anyone scene, could do it the way that Bill Murray does it. The other scene that with Bill Murray that I love is near the end, um, after Guggenheim has had his stroke max goes to visit and as max is leaving and gets out of the and about to get out of the elevator bloom shows up to see guggenheim so that he gets in the elevator and max stays with him and and bloom has a diet coke in his um lapel pocket Hmm. and he's opening up a small bottle of booze Starts pouring it into the can of Diet Coke and then screws on the top of the bottle and then just starts stuffing it in a towel inside in that's on like a rack inside the um, the hospital uh, elevator. And then he slams down the, the Coke and, and wit Jack or whatever is in it and then takes the can and then also hides that in the towel. And I'm watching, you know, and I'm watching that going. I wonder if Bill Murray adlet like he improvised that, or if that is what Wes because that seems like that to me seems like a Bill Murray thing to mm-hmm. do. Like, what do I do with the well? What do I do with the bottle after I've done it? Do I put it in my pocket? Hey, what if I just stuff it here? <laughs> Housekeeping you can know. find it later. Come on, no problem. You know stuff like that. Um, the other thing, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff about this movie that I love, so I can't. We could go on and on, but. Um, one of the other things that is great about this movie are the plays. 
Yes, the Serpico play. I mean, Frank Serpico. Oh my god! It's not a. It's not a play about like kids. Like I mean, it's like a serious play based on a movie, <laughs> Serpico. And then the play at the end is a Vietnam War play. <laughs> where, yeah, you know, is, kind of based on Bloom's time in the war. And I love the line when he first meets him, when he first, when Max first meets, meets Bloom, and he's just like, so, Vietnam? And he's like, yeah. He goes, were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. <laughs> just the conversation, it's like, this kid is not 15 years old. He's like the most precocious kid you'd ever meet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the time... When this movie came out, when it was being made, um, Jason Schwartzman was like eighteen or nineteen, mm-hmm. so um, um, he wasn't that much older than than Max was. It's not like we've seen before where thirty year olds yeah. play sixteen year olds. Yeah. Um, so it's a little more believable. A um, couple other th- fun things about this movie is so you've got Luke Wilson who plays the surgeon, um, Andrew Wilson. The third brother in the, of the Wilson brothers who has been in, I believe, almost every Wes Anderson movie. He's also the the coach in uh, the roller derby coach in Whip It. Um, he plays the, the the baseball coach. Okay. But this movie is actually co-written by Owen Wilson. Yep. It's not it's just Wes Anderson. It's co-written by Owen Wilson. So, um. And the will and Luke and Owen and Andrew were all in Wes Anderson's first movie, uh, Bottle Rocket, which is. It doesn't have the same kind of vibe as Rushmore and Tenenbaums and his other movies. It feels kind of like a first movie, but it's pretty good. It's kind of it's it's a small movie, you know, with um, few characters. Uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting to kind of having the whole, you know, that this is where like the Wilson careers kind of really started to take off was with these movies. Well, you introduced me to this movie. I remember you telling me probably within a year after it coming out, like, oh, you got to watch this movie. And I probably listened to the soundtrack before I watched the movie because I know you had that too. I had it. Yeah, and I played I, it all the time. And, yeah, well, me too. I've listened to it a number of times, and in fact, I listened to it today before even watching the movie. Um, but no, I I loved this movie. I thought it was so clever. I thought this love triangle between a fifteen-year-old and, and Bill Murray yeah. and a teacher, where it just. I mean, I, I just thought so much of it was so entertaining. I and, mean, you know, you and I didn't go to boarding school, so we don't really know what that experience is like or prep school or anything like that. But I just I just thought this movie was so funny. And just the fact that a kid would love all of the fun things about school so much that would completely, you know, like builds their whole identity around doing all the fun things and completely blow off the idea of doing, you know, the actual work and not think yeah. about his future. Like, his future would have been to just stay at Rushmore his whole life, I think, if he had any choice. Well, one of the things, like, near the beginning of the movie, too, in, in regards to, like, that dedication that he had to Rushmore, um, you know, he's in all these clubs, he's doing all these things that be involved with the school, and then he finds out, like, early in the movie 
he's in the library talking to another student. He goes, "Oh, did you hear that they're teaching Japanese? They're gonna and they're gonna discontinue Latin." And he's like, "What? I've been trying to get Latin dis, you know, you know, canceled for five years. You know, I, it's a dead language." I kept saying, and he's like, "Well, they finally got it." And he and 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 I, you know, he's like, "I guess all your hard work paid off." They finally listened to you. And then he meets Mrs. Cross. And finds out that how much she loves Latin. So then he does this whole thing to try and get Latin reinstated, getting all these signatures and everything, and having presentations on it, and then gets it required by everyone from the 7th to the 12th grade to have to take it. <laughs> yeah, he's, um, he's got some motivation. <laughs> so it's just, it's a fun, this movie is like I said, I think, you know, between the music and the the likable characters, you've got Bill Murray that really kind of stands out in it. Um the quirkiness has an absurdity to it, but it's not it's not overly cartoony, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's and it's not even like literally cartoony. <laughs> it's 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 there's nothing like that in it, but um there's a scene um, at the end, there's a line at the end where Max and Margaret are um, are dancing on the dance floor at the after party mm-hmm. of the final play at, at, and near the conclusion of the movie. He says to her, he's like, you were so great. You were that little Vietnamese girl or whatever. And she, and she says to him, that part where you... That, that part where you where you grabbed on to the bottom of the helicopter as it took off. And he just says to her totally improvised. I don't know. There's been times where I've like worked that into my daily vernacular <laughs> where I'm just like totally improvised. <laughs> like it was just insane, but I don't know. There's like really kind of fun, quirky dialogue in it. That's pretty good. And I just, yeah, I just like this movie. No, I, it's, a, I've liked it's it. definitely a movie. It's definitely a movie that like, even though it has some like kind of dark things about it, you know, with the the revenge they're trying to get. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you know, at first, Max just puts bees in in Bloom's hotel room. So then Bloom goes and runs over his bike to like yeah. twi- to like mangle the tires. So Wrong then, bike. what is Max? Was it, no, was it was it, no, was it was his bike? his bike. He got a new bike. Oh, okay. Um, but then, then Max goes to the extreme of cutting his brake line so he has no brakes in his car. Like, he could literally kill him if he does yeah, this. Like, you know, so, it's just fun. Fun and kind of dark. I haven't so. seen Rushmore in probably, I mean, it's probably been like 15 plus years, and I hadn't seen Grand Budapest Hotel in easily like five or six. So this was just well. It came of, out in twenty fourteen. So did you only see it like? Once? I think I saw it maybe twice when it came out. Okay. Um, um, it's probably been maybe five or ten years since I've had a chance to sit and watch Rushmore and really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Um, the, again, you know, you know me. I can put a movie on halfway through it and yeah, enjoy it. So, um, but yeah, I like it. Oh, I was going to say that the, you know, one of Wes Anderson's big kind of signatures is he likes to do title cards. And mm-hmm. the way he did it in Rushmore was just by showing the date, like the, what month it was and opening the curtains. 
Um, yeah. He did it more like like full on title cards in Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, well, and in in Royal Tenenbaums, it's like Chapter One. Yeah. And chapter, yeah. You know. So, yeah, it's. Um, I still think that if I was to rate the the. You know, we talked about Royal Tenenbaums and how much we like that movie, and there's a lot of people in that movie, and there's some quirkiness in, in the art, the artistry in that movie, and everything. We've talked, we we went on about that, but I think I have kind of a because this was my first Wes Anderson movie, and you know, it's a teenage boy, and all the and Bill Murray is such a is a much more um, more of a character in this than than Royal Tenenbaums. I'm, I probably gravitate towards liking this movie more than Royal Tenenbaums. Um, well, the, the subject matter in Royal Tenenbaums is a lot darker, and almost every character in that movie is either really depressed or dealing with something really big. Um, yeah. So the tone of it in general is a lot heavier. heavier so. Yeah. Yeah. But so. they're both entertaining. They're both really entertaining. Yeah. And then I... I think that, you know, because I did, I, because I finally saw Grand Budapest Hotel, I'm going to force myself to really sit down and watch Darjeeling Limited and then, and the two animated ones. I know, I know it's, if you were to have watched it last year, you probably would have given it, what, one star? Darjeeling, eh, it was probably like a two and a half. It just was boring. Mm. And, and I think a lot of that one is also on a train. Like, if I'm remembering correctly a lot of it's just like on a train. It's it just wasn't good. But Isle of Dogs, I really recommend. I had a lot of fun with that. Okay. And uh I haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox yet though. Yeah, I want to watch that. Moonrise Kingdom I want to rewatch Me too because that was that that was I remember really liking that movie. And, and that has um, Bruce Willis in it who's not normally in this cast of characters. No. No. So all right. Well, um, if anyone wants to chime in and if you've gotten this far in the podcast, wants to tell us what your favorite Wes Anderson movie is, hit us up. We're all over the Internet. <laughs> I kind of sort of. I don't know. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you, Matt. And thank you, Nancy, for, for making me watch Grand Budapest Hotel. I can at least check it off the list. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thank you, listeners, for, for tuning in. Um, still more to come from Fighting with VCR over the fall next year. And um, we will see you next time. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. This has been Fighting with the VCR. Thank you very much. Thank you.